0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm Hoping helps your business grow. If you listen to the show regularly, you know and have heard us talk about the fact that a poor product market fit is the number one reason that startups fail, other than running out of money. We don't really count that one because there are things that lead to that. We're going to talk all about that and more on today's episode of Startup Hustle, which is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And has the platform to help you manage that team? Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. Speaking of software developers and companies that employ a lot of them, today's guest does, and with us today is Phil Alvis. He is the founder and CEO of Dev Squad and Dev Stats. You can go to DevSquad.com. There is a link in the show notes for that. Straight out of Salt Lake City, Utah, Phil, welcome to Startup Hustle.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for our yeah, conversation I'm, today. I'm ready.
0: Yeah, I'm ready to talk all about this. And, you know, we've got a, we've got a, there's a lot going on. You've worked with a lot of different clients yourself and, and a lot of different things. You've got your own SaaS products and, and so do we, uh, lots to talk about, but why don't we get that started with a little more about your backstory?
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I start my career when I was 16 years old, I started learning how, how to code. I learned from books, uh, and I, and I did just for fun. So like. That was what I did in the evenings and after school, I was still going to high school. Uh, from there, kind of by, lucky, by luck, I got my first product out and and that product was successful enough that I was able to sell that product and move to the United States uh, in 2011. So um, since then, I have been building products for other people with my consulting firm. Just recently launched my own product. And on the personal side, uh, as a good Brazilian, I love jiu-jitsu, I love soccer uh and just a few years ago i also got into flying so i fly mm-hmm. airplanes is one of my hobbies
0: aren't you supposed to be in, into rodeo too isn't that like i believe like being from kansas like i get exposed to bull <laughs> riding which by the way is a lot of fun to watch i mean it really is i, I go watch the professional bull riding when it comes to a local arena that's how many people are interested but half those people are from brazil all the good ones are yeah
1: yeah there there are a lot of those there but they're in a different state those are up north and up south uh, but for sure i'll go to watch but i never yeah, well, tried it
0: huge yeah and, and and yeah not to be too far off track brazil actually has the world's largest <laughs> rodeo which hundreds of thousands of people go to i'm not like a rodeo guy i just thought that was fun so people ask me we used to have a suite at the local venue and say well what do you know about professional bull riding i said that someone from brazil is probably going to win today so (laughs) there you go all right yeah uh, i
1: actually i always want to go to the i forgot the name now but yeah it's a huge thing everyone talks about
0: what it's called but like three hundred thousand people show up to watch this thing it's wild it's like one one of the uh One of the largest populated events in the world. So, anyway, enough about. Well, one more. Here I am trying to flex my knowledge about Brazil, which interestingly uses Portuguese as a language. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Nice Spanish. I'm out of I'm out of Brazilian facts. So, uh, but. But anyway, so you, you know a, a few things. To, you know, obviously, as the founder at Full Scale, and you being a Dev Squad, we've worked with quite a few different people, or founders uh, you've built products, we've built products, and you know, when it comes to that product market fit, there's a lot of things to consider. And I'll just throw this out there so we can begin the conversation with. A simple definition of product market fit, which is when a company's product satisfies a strong market demand. It's not about just having a great pot product, it's about having a product that meets the specific needs of the market. And the market can often change. It can uh, bring uh, an increased sense of importance and attention to what you sell. And it can also drag it away. So when you think about like finding a product market fit with what you're doing, creating, starting, launching, or involved with, like what are some of the things that come to mind?
1: Yeah. And just to add on the top of the marketing change, I think there's a way to mask product market fit when you think you have it but you don't because some people might feel like hey i have revenue like especially with like b2b enterprise SaaS, uh you do early sales three years contract and then you get all these customers and like hey i have product market fit because we can sell the product Uh, but maybe you just have messaging fit or you have the right channel and for me, the only thing that really defines product market fit is actually is the user getting real value from your product, and are they willing to play pay for their value? That's how how I define product market fit. And so, again, many times I saw companies that after the first year they saw a big churn because they're just able to to sell a lot on an yearly contract and didn't look at how the users were actually using their product.
0: Yeah, I think when I think about product market fit, I think about how how valuable is the problem that you're solving, like how valuable is that solution. And there are a lot of things that can get engagement and can get, you know, interaction and users and then fail to generate revenue because maybe the solution, it doesn't really exist or it's not that valuable or it's. To the point that like you just have to sell them, you know, a million five dollar, you know, subscriptions or something like that. So, uh, you know, product market fit, as you mentioned, can also feel like a bit of an illusion to some people, because sometimes you do get revenue, you do get adoption, and that can actually lead to that kind of phantom Feeling of, oh wow, this is big, this is really valuable. When in fact, you just have like three or four early adopters, but you might struggle to find adopters five through infinity.
1: Yeah. And, and I, like to, nowadays, if you talk about SaaS products too, people are buying so many SaaS products and they get so excited, but they don't use every single SaaS product that they buy. And so that's why I, one of the metrics that I like to track is how many stricks in a week or in a day. Uh, if it's a daily product or it's a weekly product, how many times people are coming back to your product? You know, like what's the tricks of like how these people come like for ten weeks, twelve weeks, thirteen weeks? They're like every they're every week because you might just get excited about something, and and I'm like that. Like I have ADHD, I'll go like a hundred directions. I got excited about everything, and I'm like, oh shit, I cannot do everything. And then you go back and do what only what you can, and I and I think people are getting more uh, conscious of that right now in the economy that we are and people are starting to save in, and there's even products to help you figure out which products you are not using so you can cancel them or reduce your subscription level. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Like it's, you might have early engagement, but how do you keep those people engaged? How do you make sure that you're adding value long time? You know?
0: I think you have a good point with the measuring and, that, and the metric of like daily user and you know, and login or usage or whatever is is a big is a big metric that uh, venture capital and business analysts look at because you're right. Like if it's something you go back to every day, and I'll give you an example as the founder. So GigaBook.com is a SaaS product that that Fullscale owns, and um, you know, it's been a long time since this happened, but it was years ago we. Uh, It was still pretty early and we had kind of a bad software push and, (laughs) and, and broke a couple things one day. And my God, did the phone ring that day. Now talking about finding a silver line, we fixed the problem in a couple hours and it was gone. And, and we all kind of sat back because that's stressful stuff when that occurs. And by the way, that happens to every software business at least once at some point. But I sat back and I looked at the team and I said, "You know what? While today was not fun, I will say it was important." And they're kind of looking at me, "What are you going to say next?" I'm like, "It shows how important what we built is to our users because with a couple hours of hiccups, they're lighting up the fun. They can't live without it." And that's mm-hmm. and that's an important thing and it also increased it increased our our feeling of of responsibility for making sure that we didn't mess anything up again. But but like I said, when you realize that you've built this critical component of how people run a business or or you, or do something, I think that's when you know you're on to something.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's very important for us to know when you're building a product, what kind of product are you building? Is a mission critical software or it is a software that people can live without that doesn't affect their day if it goes down. And when I was building my own SaaS, I actually purposely wanted to build something that if we went down, wouldn't be the end of the world. I didn't want to build an email service. I didn't want to build a payment gateway, something that people cannot live without for real. But it was pretty amazing when we had issues and our software, even though it's a developer analytics platform, so we just show you stats of how your team is doing. It doesn't affect if you can work or not, uh, but people still were calling and still, I mean, we don't have the phone, I should say. They were still emailing they were still like, why is this now? We wanted to use the product and, and that it's like you, like you say, you're not happy that you have a problem in our case it was the problem with the workers so like there was a lot of workers and then this, the worker server went down and now people can't not do their job but it was it also feels good it feels good to know that people care that you went down and people are are messaging you about it you know
0: yeah and i think that you know those are the kind of tools you talk about the a good product market fit and i think this is where people get a little um that what they're looking at and considering as important with what they built is sometimes misaligned. And it took me years to learn this as a, as a software founder uh, before I finally realized that things like peace of mind um, are more valuable than anything else you can put in there. And when I say that, like, I just, I'm going to use gigabook as an example. So like when a business that, that takes bookings or collects payments for appointments and stuff like that, is able to automate that process, they remove a whole lot of anxiety when it comes at missed opportunities, um, redundant work that they need to do. So you talk about like, now, yes, that there's a bunch of quote features that are below that payment collection and scheduling reminders or whatever, but really in the end, you're delivering peace of mind, meaning that that user can, you know go provide the services that they provide for other people or do whatever it is that they do in a way that you know like you said it's it's it well it is kind of mission critical in that regard so you know i think that's and so why is all that important well this is the a a kind of a foundational requirement for sustainable growth in some regards and it's uh you know, these that results in, in a reduced cost of customer acquisition because I'll give you an example, like something like and we'll just still use Giga Book here. So people learn about that product when other people are using it. It's where reminders come from, it's where they see the widget, they see stuff like that, and they say, Oh wow, this was really, really cool. This was really easy. Maybe I could use that at my business. And these are the kind of things that 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 gain traction and keep your stuff moving forward and you know i think the main thing as well though that's important is don't overlook the fact that that keeping the clients users or subscribers that you have is a lot easier than going to find new ones so if you're able to deliver something that gives peace of mind or or i don't know just reduces friction or stress or anything i think that those are signs of a good product market fit because you're solving a problem that the user has and they don't want to go back to the prior problem. That's a good mm-hmm.
1: fit. So for sure, and and I think with, with your product specifically, it's very interesting because once you get in, like uh, people have to book the appointments and that become a behavior and they cannot run their business at that point without your booking system because it it,
0: sticky. Yeah. It, yeah.
1: It, it's super sticky. So like there's, I feel like building products, there are trade-offs and, and then you have to understand what trade-offs you're doing and how that trade-off will affect your product market fit. Uh and, and we went different ways about building a product. Like you build something super stick that if it's not there, I cannot run my business. If I need people to schedule to come like to see me, like, whoever like let's say i'm a barber and i'm using your product to to schedule people in and now like i'm going to be answering the phone when i'm like i supposed to be cutting hair it's a big deal so like once they adopt your product if you don't mess up they're going to keep using because it's there now there are a lot of products like for example my product where i made the decision of like i wanted to be on top of everything that they're actually using i wanted to be an analytics product analytics product like my product like mix panel that like how people are using inside you don't need an analytics product is is i'm going to take a step back and i'm going to look big picture how is my team performing how is my business performing and hopefully i'm going to have actionable insights and so i feel like there's a trade off and you have to understand that one is going to maybe be harder than the other to get to product market fit because you have to change the behavior of people like long term uh, with you your product i made the decision that now i'm not going to book manually anymore that's if you lose your client they're going to go to to another product because the alternative it's it's pretty bad for them you know so the pain point is very big
0: well when you talk you talk about like (laughs) sticky products and the need like now here's here's some just real talk there are also things that businesses just don't want to swap out. You know, like you mentioned, like a, well, it's like a booking software. I mean, it's kind of a pain in the ass to switch it out. It's the same thing with your payment gateways, your banks, certain things like that. So, you know, like on some levels um, you can get, you know, if if you do a, a good enough job, you can definitely stay in that conversation or in that, in that. You know, client spot and situation. That, so that
1: being said, it would be super hard to get into, right? Let's say if you build yeah. competition to Twilio, who wants to replace to it not great, no, but who wants to go to the whole thing of replacing that? And they have such a big market share. So again, you have to think about your pros and cons and how you're going to go about it. You know,
0: and we've talked about that before on the show. We did a 52 part series about how to start a tech company, and one of them, one of the the uh, one of the uh, uh, things we talked about in one of the episodes was, you know, gaining customers, gaining users. And I think a lot of startup founders come into the whole thing thinking that they're going to take business away from the competition. And the thing is, is you have to be significantly cheaper or better to unseat people from products that they're already using because the, the cost of switching over Often, And the effort and the energy and the focus that goes with it are often outweigh the benefit of it. So, yeah, so let's, uh, yeah, I want to talk about a few things that are uh, key indicators of having a good product market fit before. Before I do that, I'm going to remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially if you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use FullScale's platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. While you're down there, you can also, down there in the show notes, clicking that link. Click the link for Dev Squad; They've got some people out there, too. So... You know, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, I, I think that you talk about, about product market fit, but it's also hard to achieve that without having the right team of people building it. So get out there and look for that. Now, when you talk about indications that you might have, I'll tell you what, let's do true, let's do true or false here, Phil. Okay, let's do it. All right. The following is an indicator of a good product market fit, a high customer retention rate.
1: Yep, for sure.
0: True, I'm going with you. <laughs> How about rapid organic growth and referral rates?
1: Oh, referral rates for sure. True. All right. Yeah.
0: Low customer churn. Yep. True. Positive net promoter scores. Yep. If you don't know what a net promoter score is, yeah, I'm gonna let you Google at NPS, but. Um, it's 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 a gauge of it's it's an indicator and a, a measuring stick as far as how happy people are. Um, okay, is this an indicator of product market fit? An inconsistent or decreasing usage of your product or service?
1: No, but I, I also yes. feel like you have to investigate it further, like sure. because it could be that. There are other things that are affecting and and people are canceling a product because of their financial situation or because they mm-hmm. moved to another company so I, I feel like it's a yellow flag i'm not sure if it's a red flag yet <laughs> you know like we talk uh, about product you market change a, you over time too point.
0: yeah you have a good point and let's go back to <laughs> march of 2020 <laughs> right mm-hmm. pandemic time and um you know for us at full scale we lost a ton of business because there was a reaction from the market, uncertainty about financing, business, uh, new investment rounds, stuff like that. Uh, that at the time that drove high customer churn rates and, you know, and that was, a, that wasn't something that wasn't related to our business in general. That was related to marketplace conditions. I think we're experiencing some of that in 2023 right now with a slowdown in venture capital. And um, while some parts of the economy have boomed over the last year or two, a lot of them are really kind of aren't. And you, know, you mentioned like, that's why I say you have a good point. We ran into that with Gigabook. We're like, we'll get a cancellation and it'll just say, my business didn't go well. You know, mm-hmm. like, we're not in business anymore. And, th- and that's not necessarily because of what you've built in some yeah. situations. So, yeah. And,
1: and when we start this, this conversation, we talk about like also building a $5 product versus a more expensive product. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, especially if you're trying to build products for prosumers, people that are like trying to start a business or, or a smaller business, there's that point too, like maybe they will suffer because of market conditions or mm-hmm. like we think about like this Zencast that we're using to record your, the podcast right now. The reality is most people don't, don't go over 20 episodes. So so it's a, it's a hard market to be. So that's things to think about too uh, when you think about product market fit and and are you choosing the right market to play? Like I, I feel like you have product market fit is also about are you, is an underserved enough market or is a market that you can charge enough money that you don't need all this there's many customers or out there's much money to raise or, or no, you want to raise money. You want to be big. It's all about your strategy, you know?
0: Well, and then some products in general, just be, just because you don't experience a long-term user relationship doesn't mean that you have a poor product market fit. And I'll give you a good example. There's a company here in Kansas city that builds the technology mm-hmm. that all of the paint companies paint like house paint, like indoor, Mm -hmm. outdoor, like all these companies use it in their app. So you can try to get an idea of what the paint would look like in your room. Mm -hmm. This is an example of like, a a, a, okay, so here's the thing. Eventually you paint that room and maybe another room you're going to run out. Unless you're a professional painter, you might run out of rooms (laughs) to paint. And then that, 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 that kind of product might have, they have a great product market fit for people that are currently looking to choose a color of paint to paint the room. But I would imagine the engagement rates and the daily usage of that falls off a cliff because mm-hmm. you run out of rooms or houses or something to paint, you know, <laughs> like you kind of get it done and then the, the, there it is. And then it left. Now mm-hmm. those are different kind of products. Those are kind of one-off stuff. Um, so I'll give you one. I used to sell pianos when I was young and a piano, like a traditional piano has a lifespan of 80 to a hundred years. You usually make (laughs) that sale to someone and that's it, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of people. Now there are some people that maybe start with something simple and then come back and get a better one. But, you know, that was one of those things that, I mean, we had the right product, we had the right market, there was a fit for that. But once that needs met, It's done. That doesn't, but that, but because I, and I'm bringing this up because we're talking a lot about like SaaS and recurring stuff. But over in in general, when it comes to all markets, some things are a good product market fit. They just don't have a recurring nature to them. Yeah.
1: Alas, in your piano example, you're selling pianos for people that sell pianos because they always have to sell more pianos and then that becomes more scalable. That's why I love to stick with the B2B space, especially for Bootstrap, because even with the same painter examples, stay in the B2B space uh, allows you to give so much more value to because business can put a a dollar amount to what they're saving. So if they're using my software and they they have a hundred developers and they, their developers are better off now and they see more productivity. And so they are like, okay, we produce 30% more. Our developers cost X. We save uh, this much money. And so that's also going back to the value thing. It's so much easier to provide value to a business than to an individual.
0: Well, and those, those are some of the reasons that when it comes to finding investment in the in the private equity and venture capital markets that, um, there's well, there are funds, more funds than not that literally will only invest in B2B enterprise software. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's a bigger ticket to, like you mentioned, businesses need things that grind the gears. Another thing is, it's a lot easier to get a business uh, on some days to get a business or someone that works at a business to spend the business's money than it is to get an individual that same person that that might be in charge of a $300 a month decision for your SaaS product might go home later that night and cancel an $8 a month subscription on the personal note because they, they don't use it or it's their own money. Uh, Meaning like it's a lot easier for people out at most businesses to spend the business's money than it is to spend, a consumer's money. So, um, and, and also the tickets are just a lot more expensive.
1: Yeah, it's definitely very different. Like, um, for example, my personal finances, I don't manage them because I'm so used to manage dev squads and then my business finances, then my wife gets mad at me. I'm like, oh, that's $10,000. And she's like, oh, this is not your company. $10,000 is a lot of money for, for us at the individual level. You can just go like, oh, $10,000 here, $20,000 there. Um, but those are easy decisions that you make in an hour in the business depending on the size of your business uh, and those are not easy decisions that you make like in our personal life we pay 20 bucks for netflix and expect everything to be 20 bucks <laughs> you know
0: yeah and then but and with that though even at 20 bucks netflix has to sell a hell of a lot of subscriptions to pay their bills yeah like a exactly. lot yeah a lot, it's a lot of 20 dollars bills to stack up now um let's talk about a couple ways to like identify or or look out for product market fit i mean conducting surveys and talking to your users is is number one um ask people what they like and what they don't like about what you've built and then listen
1: mm-hmm. yeah you know? i agree they're, they're not they're- always
0: going to tell you stuff that you want that you like hearing but they will tell you stuff you need to hear
1: yeah th- there's a lot of way to get fancy about it like a lot of the mixed panel product, where you can like track North Star, track engagement, and and look at all the events and what people are doing. But it's it's funny how like at the end of the day, just a simple conversation does so much, and you don't have like to sp- spend all this time implementing things. So you just know if you have product market fit or not. So I feel like sometimes we over it and we overcomplicate it when, especially in the early days, you can do things that don't scale. You can Jump on a call with your customer and, and ask them questions. And there's there's a book that I love about knowing how to do those interviews and ask those questions. It's called the Mom tests because you have to ask the right questions to get the answers that you need. You know, so that's a book that I recommend for everybody.
0: So is the mom, like M O M, yes. So Does like that stand for something, or is or is it really like a mother?
1: So. The, the whole premises of the book, it's like, how could you ask questions to your mother about what you're doing and still get value answered? Because your mother loves you so much. But if you do it in the correct way, and if you write, ask the correct questions, you might not lead people to try to protect your feelings. Uh, and, and that's the whole premises of the book. It's an amazing book on, on user testing and, and understanding if users are finding value from your product.
0: I have a I have a simple software rule that I call five seventy five, which means a five year old and a seventy five year old should both be able to figure out how to use it or get started with with that level of ease. Um, yeah. which isn't always possible with everything. But you talk about the uh, everything about. You could have a great solution, but if it's at the end of a really terrible onboarding or setup process, you're not going to, no one's ever going to find out about it because it's not going to get set up properly. So can a five-year-old or a seven, and if you're 75 and listening to this podcast, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just invented that when my dad was 75 because he was constantly calling me, asking me how to do things, set stuff up all that. And I realized, I'm like, man, this is really, a lot of the stuff I was like, this is really hard to do. Why is this so confusing? And yeah. Yeah, when a guy that owns a tech company can't help you set up your, a, a software product or something, or it's not, can't, or if it's just a challenge, then that might be a different test. So,
1: for, and, and it's, I haven't seen so many business building that premises, for example, Salesforce is such a complex Product yeah, so hard much. to set up yeah,
0: i do not even use it for that reason
1: yeah so you probably saw the same in your own development company we built crm for constructions crm for financial advisor crm for car dealers crm for x just but because the crm
0: down they're, they're, down, they're down and they're, make, and they're simplifying they're making
1: they're stupid down. simple because yeah. that's wow. com- oh no Yes, Salesforce can serve everyone, but to serve everyone, they have so many level of complexities of customizations, and and like even sure. HubSpot was built on the oh, yeah. let's make something simpler than than freaking Salesforce. Well, that's
0: and, and you, that's why we use HubSpot and not <laughs> Salesforce at <laughs> yeah, that was the thing, and you, you know if you uh, Salesforce is okay, so obviously Salesforce is like a multi billion dollar company. <laughs> GigaBook is not. So I, one of my biggest regrets with building Gigabook was, okay, so what, so why we do, we have a good product market fit at Gigabook for companies that need high level or companies or users that need high levels of customization. So the whole thing is customizable, which is a lot more work, a lot more maintenance, a lot more consideration, a lot more integration then just if I would have gone back, so they say there's riches in the niches, like rather than being like the eighth biggest booking software or whatever, um, we could have been number one in like something niche now, but with that though, the product market fit shouldn't be so, so precise that you have no market. So the question is, what is that? So you mentioned, like you rattled off all these different levels of all these different types of uh, CRMs and stuff like that, which is kind of funny because my co-founder at Full Scale and here at the Startup Hustle Podcast was also the founder at Venn Solutions, which is a huge car dealer CRM. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so have some familiarity with that, but you look at the specificity of it. And so when we don't, when we get users that don't adopt it, so we had to adapt the way we did everything at Gigabook to create what we created, what we called smart start, which is intelligent onboarding. Cause there's so much customization in there. You ever go to set something up and you're on a page and you're like, I don't need any of this. Mm -hmm. So you got, you get, but you sit there and you look through all of it and like, it just, it's, it's sensory overload. So, you know, and we wanted to do things to make stuff easier, like, for example, if you okay, so when you get a US, a United States based mailing address, the zip code is the last field you always fill out software people should make that first. Because if you know someone's zip code, you know their time zone, you know their currency, you know their location, and you can fill out a lot of stuff along the way. And like some of that is is if you do have a complex product, then you need to become a specialist in getting people into it. And that will make it a better fit for them because when they're inside, it's already set up to do what they want to do. That's where mm-hmm. people flop out of Salesforce. Like I did the same thing. I, 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 I was like, okay, this... Everyone's I've heard so much about it. And I used to live in Indianapolis where Salesforce has like a 900 story building with their name on it. But, but, but it overloaded me. I'm like, wait a minute, I need to, I'm going to potentially have to hire someone to work on this full time just as an administrator. And I was like, there's gotta be simple stuff in there. Cause like you get it, you sell software development services. I need to know your name, your location, your website, what you're looking for. And when do you want to start?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: and like I don't need to go 900 levels deep into things and build another set of software. So, yeah. OK, so um, we're running out of time and I think we'd be remiss to not. I think it would be uh, like we need to talk a little bit about what happens if you realize you don't have a good product market fit, but your business is already out there. And this is uh, the the pivot or persevere section of this conversation. Um, you know, uh one of my favorite moves is the pivot. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, before we hit record, you mentioned like spinning, spinning, spinning software products out of a service business or something else. Um, you know, I, I use the example of gigabook being highly customizable. If I wanted to take a pivot there, I could just decide to make it, the world's number one software for people that wanted to schedule clowns at a kid's birthday party, you know, mm-hmm. or something. But that might be a pivot if we saw an opportunity. And I actually consider, do you remember like five years ago, or probably actually more like eight to 10 years ago, when everyone got into escape rooms? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it was just craze. They were everywhere. And all these people were reaching out and they were asking, they wanted a booking solution for it. Nobody had one. We talked about it. We were still a little early in the company history to like take a full-on pivot. I probably could have done that and beat the two other people that actually made a solution for it and been the and in the industry leader in that right away, you can, now here's the thing, you can charge a premium for that. Yep. If it's already set up and it's niched down. So people will call me and they'll say, hey, you mentioned earlier, a hair, like a hairstylist. People will call me and they'll be like, hey, my cousin is a hairstylist. I think she'd really like Gigabook. And I will literally say, no, there are four or five products <laughs> that serve that exact market that will be better for your needs, and I recommend you try one of those. Mm-hmm. Why, and why would I drive people away from my own platform? Because it's just it's it's a it's a it's good advice, you know. Now with that, we also okay. So we we have an exorcist, like a guy that performs exorcisms, <laughs> that has a, a, an account at Gigabook, and you can book your exorcism online. Um there is not a platform that serves that type of service provider specifically. So, you know, you get, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of needs in there, but if you need to pivot and you realize it, um, some of that's as simple as it can be niching down. It can be, Picking one segment that you got a really strong response for and deciding that that is going to be your specialty. What yeah. kind of pivots have you, have you seen, embraced, or worked on? You don't have to be overly specific of their clients, but I'm curious like where and when you've seen pivots and did they work?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like there's two main kinds of pivots. And you just talk a lot about one kind, who's the ICP kind, who is my ideal client profile. Mm-hmm. and I saw that many times for example we had this one product that we built was for help people build financial plans so they would be more organized and, and know where they were uh, and originally they thought their ICP would be that individual, that person that it's a, they call them, uh, I forgot the name, not yet, hearing a high earner is not yet rich so those are, mm-hmm. therefore that was their target market and and the product was great but those people weren't buying uh and so they just changed the icp for companies and like what if we like go compete with dave Ramsey program that a lot of companies buy to to teach their employees how to manage money but our thing is not video it's like we connect your finances we show you give actionable insights and that change of ICP made the whole difference Um, There was another one that I was someone that that came to my podcast that I thought was a great example. They were trying to build a SaaS product uh, and they built this amazing feature on like the whole billing and and aborting and trying to reduce churn. And the actual product that they built wasn't great. Nobody bought, but they're like, they took that one piece out. And now they made a SaaS product to help companies that didn't want to spend all the time with the things that every SaaS product need with like connecting to Stripe and managing the subscription. And that became their product. Uh, I mean, one of the products I use every day is Slack. That was what happened, right? So they were trying to build a video game uh, and then they need to communicate internally and someone hacked together a chat for them to communicate internally and later on, when they run out of money, they they realized the only really valuable thing they had was the valuable, the, the internal software. And they, they released that for everybody. And, and now we have Slack. So I feel like those are the two main kinds of pivots uh, that I see happen all the time. Uh, and should not be afraid to do those. Um, because, like, one of the hardest things is we know that because that's the business that we are in is to build a amazing team and so if you have a team that works well together if we have engineers that do well if we have a product manager that understand and they can get the ball moving maybe you can just get the same team and move to a product that they're going to be more successful uh and and if i see a lot of companies being very successful uh following you, that route
0: you talk about the pivot so shopify was originally an online store for snowboard equipment called snow devil um, yeah when the founders were dissatisfied with the existing e-commerce tools available they built their own um so you know honestly gigabook still was kind of a pivot for us so GigaBook <laughs> was it moving forward when we started fullscale which full scale got real big for us you know in mm-hmm. 5000 style company and it it garnered more attention from us rightfully so at the time and when i say like a pivot it wasn't really a pivot so the components that exist in Gigabook scheduling uh, notifications, reminders, text message, communication, stuff like that. We were able to essentially merge that with the full scale.io platform because with hundreds of employees and you get it, you've got like 80 to hundred employees yourself. Like, so for us, it's a little, our our service offerings a little different because we're more like staff augmentation and we want to create a seamless process that lets someone, oh, here's a talented person I might want on my team. I can click this button. I see mm-hmm. when they're going to get, when they're available. It does time zone conversions because your your folks are in Brazil, I'm assuming.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: Ours are in the Philippines. These are, you're near shore or yes. offshore. The time zones are different. It's all wonky, stuff like that. And then Um, You talk about the organizational efficiency that it that it provided, because we also could customize it the way we needed it. It removes like, oh, man, you look at all the notifications, reminders, all those different things. So sometimes you can get an overlap with different things that you do. And then, like you mentioned, sometimes you'll build something and realize that 10% of it's really valuable. The other 90%, you may have actually kind of wasted your time building. You usually get to that point by not testing for a good product <laughs> market fit along the way, by the way. We did that. I remember one thing when we were first building Gigabook, I thought was just going to be like this feature. It was involving tracking, like sales tracking, basically. Like did I? Did ha- what, what was the result that we came out with? And we spent all this time building it um, and then we launched it and no one used it. Except for us, you know, I mean, (laughs) that happens, but that's also like, I learned a lesson from that, which is maybe go out and and talk to our users and ask them what they want more so than anything else. And, and I did that afterward, which actually resulted in us building some things that matter.
1: Another kind of pivot that comes to mind is that maybe you did build something that's good and that, and that's successful, but you realize a bigger opportunity in within that business. We, we have a customer that just had an exit. And when you talk about Shopify, I remember of him. So he was running a e-commerce store and his e-commerce store was doing well um, through Shopify, through Amazon, but he was having such a hard time managing inventory. And so he didn't find any, any solution. And first he built an internal tool uh, to manage his, uh, his inventory. Now he realized inventory management was much bigger than the specific niche that he was selling a product. Uh, and so he spin off another product which was a SaaS product uh, that he was able to use his own e-commerce and then that ended up growing a lot and then he ended up actually just recently selling the SaaS product uh, for a great exit for him so it wasn't that his e-commerce wasn't doing well was that he found another opportunity and he pivoted to go pursue that opportunity so I don't know if it was too much of a pivot maybe a spin-off with my own firm like we talk about that stats is an 80 uh, to 90 employees firm uh, but i figure out that what we really love to do is help development teams do more and, and get stuff done uh, and i'm doing i'm going to be able to do a much bigger scale with my my saas product than i can i'm able to do with my consulting firm which oh, yeah. is, like, consulting is very different than the staff augmentation. but uh, i was well, like hey
0: consulting relies on people and mm-hmm. people inherently aren't very scalable <laughs> because Trying where software can be. That's why that's why the VC world is so in love with software because you can theoretically, if it's done right, go from a thousand users to ten thousand users in a at light speed. Mm-hmm. Where if you had to do that, in a, and it's like that at full scale, I know this firsthand. So if I went, you know, I got three hundred and twenty-five employees, and if all of a sudden I needed a thousand of them. I got to go find 675 more, which doesn't happen at that same rate of speed. So,
1: yeah, consulting yeah. is very profitable, though. That's oh, yeah. why yeah. It, it's it's amazing place to start because less than one percent of companies will. Be able to raise money, so I feel like a lot of people. I think software is a great second, third, fourth business. And yeah. a lot of our own customers, they, tough,
0: they,
1: Yeah, they tough. they made their money somewhere else. Like they made their money with a driving school, for example, mm-hmm. and now they're building software for a driving school because they can afford yeah. and they don't have to um, <laughs> pay for uh, try to go raise money when it's it's a very hard game. You have to have the right uh, resume, the right pedigree, the right connections where you could just do like a first build a business that is easy to profit to be profitable and then you move into software like because I know also from my own dating side my customers I would love to hear your point it's going to take two or three years to break even in saas uh, you know so you have to be able to to hold that you got you, <laughs> yeah. <to> <laughs> you know but
0: you know I I watched this show on the <laughs> the history channel called alone where they go drop people off in like the remote wilderness and there's 10 of them and you know that whoever stays out there the longest wins and they're they're all busy bees when it comes to uh accumulating enough food to make it through the the dry or the winter times and uh, launching a software business is very simple are very similar is not simple is very similar strike that from the record please (laughs) well hey bro we are out of time and i want to let every. i want to do a quick reminder i'm going to get in trouble if i don't mention this if you need to hire software engineers testers or leaders full scale can help we have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts you can go to fullscale.io answer a few questions let our platform match you up with fully vetted highly experienced teams of engineers testers and leaders so and once again with me today phil alvis and phil sells dev services too you can go to devsquad.com, devstats.com as well where he is the founder and ceo um you know i i i think that uh you know we i think we covered a lot of good stuff here i want to give you the mic uh i want to give you the mic one more time and give you the opportunity to uh uh you know, is there anything you'd like to say and sum up today's episode?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the, it was a very great conversation. Thanks for having me. I would like to invite your listeners to test DevStats. It's a free trial, no credit card required. Uh, and they're going to be able to see also everything that we are trying to do to get the adoption, which is very important to um to get product market fit. So when you sign up for my product, you're going to get an email every day from me for the next seven days where I'll walk you through videos and, and how you use the software and how you need. Because at the end of the 14 days trial, I want you to already have received the value. So you, so you sign up for the product. And maybe if you're not the ideal customer, you're not going to have the value. But I would invite everybody to go test devstats.com and sign up for the free trial. We're not going to require any credit card. And also you're going to be able to see what we do to try to raise the engagement. And, and how we do the products.
0: I like it, people. Go check it out. Anything that makes you better, faster, or cheaper is worth looking into. Phil, thanks for joining me, man. I'll, kept, I'll catch up with you down the road. Sounds great. Thank you. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.